scripture reading this morning is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 11 through 19. In your pew Bible, that would be found on page 627. Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 11 through 19. Let's stand together as we read God's word. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work, arise, and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to meditate on God's word. And you have your Bibles open to Jeremiah chapter 1. It's a slab of concrete with 37 steps. Any place else it would be considered an eyesore, but this is just not any staircase. It helped hundreds of people escape to safety on 9-11, earning the name the Survivor's Staircase. The Survivor's Staircase, which was relocated today, is the only above-ground remnant of the Twin Towers still standing in the same spot. That was the opening statement on ABC World News tonight on Monday night. On the morning of 9-11, millions of debris of steel, paper, and people came falling down. All the while, this one staircase of 37 steps stood in the same spot. And as I watched the report and saw them move the staircase so that they could later on put it back in a spot for a memorial, this 
lonely staircase amidst all the debris, I thought, this is a picture of Jeremiah. This one man of God, while everything is crumbling around him, his nation, his friends, his own health is crumbling, he's staying in the same spot for 40 years. You might say Jeremiah's assignment or Jeremiah's call was, Jeremiah, what I want from you is you just stay in the same spot for 40 years. Everyone else and everything else in the world is going to be shifting and moving, but I need somebody for 40 years who would just do this, just stand in the same spot. That's Jeremiah's call. Jeremiah, you need to be an iron pillar. Stand firm. The kings, the officials, the priests, the people, everyone's going to be against you, and they will all fall. This morning, as we examine the call of Jeremiah in this first chapter, it's important that we see what Jeremiah sees. And God gives Jeremiah three pictures that encourage him in his 40 years of ministry. First picture is the almond tree, and the second picture is the boiling pot, and the third picture is the iron pillar. So we want to look at those three today, and we'll have some application from Jeremiah's time to our time. The almond tree, the boiling pot, and the iron pillar. And the word of the Lord came to me, verse 11, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. When you and I walk out of church this morning, we are going to see nature's signs that winter is over. I mean, all around Wilmington and even just as as you leave the doors today, you'll see the blooming Bradford pear trees. If you lived in Israel, the sign that winter is almost over would be the blooming almond tree. There are lots of almond trees in Israel, and it wouldn't take you long to identify one. And especially in the spring, they're like the Bradford pear. They're the first tree to bloom And one day, apparently, Jeremiah is walking past an almond tree, and he gets what is probably what seems like an unusual question. Jeremiah hears from the Lord, and he says, Jeremiah, what what are you seeing? What are you looking at right now? And Jeremiah responds, I see an almond tree. And the question seems odd to us because When you and I read this passage in English, we don't notice the Hebrew play on words. So look back here in verse 11. Jeremiah says, I see shaked. That's the word for almond tree. I see shaked. And then in verse 12, God says, You have seen well, for I am shoked. I am watching. I am watching my word. I'm watching over it. I am going to perform it. So Jeremiah sees an almond tree, and over the course of 40 years, 
Every time he sees an almond tree, which is going to be like saying to you, every time you see a Bradford pear, here's what I want you to remember, Jeremiah. I'm watching. You see, you're going to forget, and I want to show you something that you're going to see every day for 40 years as you have been called to stand in the same spot I want you to know when everything else is crumbling down around you, I'm watching. I am the Lord. I do not sleep. I do not slumber. I have not wound up the world and just left it to sort of run on its own. I am watching. I'm watching you. I'm watching over my word. My word, Jeremiah, is going to be like the surviving staircase. Jeremiah, even when you fall down, my word is going to stand forever. It will save hundreds and thousands and millions of people's lives. A couple of critical applications for Jeremiah and for us. Number one, my guess is that the almond tree must have been particularly helpful for Jeremiah and particularly encouraging as he watches everything crumble around him. I mean, when you watch things crumble in the world, you have questions. When you watch your family and friends crumble, when your own health begins to crumble, you have questions. What was the main question on the night of 9-11? Where is God? God, in case you haven't noticed, it looks like things are falling apart down here in my life, in our world. And I want to know where you are. And Jeremiah is not going to be immune to those kinds of questions in his lifetime So God gives him a bit of a show and tell right here at the beginning of his ministry to encourage Jeremiah. It's as if God is saying to Jeremiah, things are going to fall apart in your lifetime, Jeremiah. So I'm showing you an almond tree. So you can hear me say, you can hear me tell you, I am watching. My word is going to triumph over all the brokenness in your life and all the brokenness in this world. Now, I am sure that there are some people here today who live in very broken circumstances. You would say, yes, and I'm being faithful. And what it feels like, Paul, is even though with my faithfulness, It feels like and it looks like and it is the rest of my life is still crumbling. It's still falling apart. And if you're one of those people, I know as you lay your head on the pillow, you ask yourself, God, where are you? Everything is falling apart down here. And I want you to hear from Jeremiah through me, and to you, God saying, I'm watching. I 
I'm watching. I'm standing guard. I understand what is happening. I see what you see. And I want you to know that I am going to prevail. Even if in your lifetime you do not see it, my word will stand forever. I see you. I see your circumstances. I'm watching my word, and my word is going to prevail. Jeremiah needed to hear that. Jeremiah needed probably needed to be reminded of it every day. That's why he got the picture of the almond tree, something that he would pass every day, and we need to be reminded of it. Another application is Jeremiah lived in a time of a lot of false prophets. In fact, it says in Jeremiah 5, they have lied about the Lord. They have said, he will do nothing. No harm will come to us. And then God tells Jeremiah, I love this picture, the prophets are but wind. The word is not in them. These people who are eager to speak for God, they're just windy. They make some noise, but they have no substance. Jeremiah lived in windy conditions. Apparently, there were a number of people in Jerusalem very eager to speak for God. Many of their spiritual conversations began with this phrase, God told me. When really God didn't tell them anything. It's just God told me was a signal to say, this is what I really want. You and I live in windy conditions. I'm concerned that people often say things that sound a lot like they're obligating God to perform what they say. We live in spiritually windy conditions, and there are a number of people, and you might be one of them, that say phrases that sound a lot like you are obligating God to perform your word. And so it's helpful, so we don't get knocked off course by this wind, to see in Jeremiah exactly what is God watching over? What exactly is God going to perform? And the answer is, His Word. He's watching His Word. It's His Word that's going to be performed. And I want you to hear me on this because I don't want you to be discouraged by prayer. God it beckons us to pray, to speak out our words to Him. But God is not obligated to perform your word. He has said, I'm going to perform my word. My word is the best word. My word is the final word. My word is the word that's going to stand forever. So we need to be careful when we use language that sounds like we're obligating God to what it is that really 
are just things that we want. A third application. Uh, we don't have prophets in the same manner as Jeremiah. I mean, nobody speaking today needs to write down their stuff and stick it at the back of the Bible. Which is good for me to remember. But we do have preachers today. And sooner or later, you're going to have to replace the preacher who's behind this pulpit. And I'm not going to take a little quick survey of who wants sooner and who wants later. But sooner or later, that day is going to come. And I'm pleading with you this day, which I hope is a long way from the last day. But I'm looking at you this day and I'm pleading with you, please Put a man here that will tell you God's Word. You do not need to know His Word. You do not need to know the Word on the street. The Word that you need when your life is crumbling and falling apart, the Word that you can stand on when everything else is failing and you are failing is God's Word. And we live in mighty windy conditions. And it would be easy for me or any of us to get knocked off guard and say, boy, this guy looks flashy. He's got a good program. I hear what he's saying. He he talks my language. I don't come to hear my language to church. I come to hear God's language. That's the language you and I need to hear And so when that day comes, we need to be prepared to get a man who will stand firm in the same spot on the Bible. Now, you and I might say, well, yeah, of course we would. But lots of churches have said that over time. And it just takes a little bit off on the next person before the next person. And then you have a couple of generations and you have storytelling up here on Sundays. The almond tree, the boiling pot, verses 13 through 16. I think it's hard for us to appreciate this vision from Jeremiah's perspective. How unpleasant this would have been for him to see this boiling pot spilt over into the direction of his people, Judah, and God saying, this is... The enemy, Babylon, and they are going to come and take over your nation. And they're not just going to take over the nation. Notice the language. They shall come and set their thrones in the gates of Jerusalem. In the New Testament times, the gates were like the capital. That's where everything happened. That's that's the courtroom. That's where all the decisions are being made. And Jeremiah has to go out and tell his people, they're not just going to overrun our country. They're going to occupy the gates. They're going to be ruling over us. And what compounds the difficulty for Jeremiah is that he has to look at his people in the face and say, this is happening because of you. I mean, imagine Al-Qaeda coming into America and occupying the White House. 
and killing a lot of Americans, and the ones they didn't kill, they took them and put them in Afghanistan. And then somebody had to come and say, all this is happening because of the people in the church. That would give you a sense of the difficulty of Jeremiah's call. And he has to tell them that they have forsaken God. In the Hebrew, the word forsaken means to to relinquish or to let go. And so Jeremiah's assignment is to tell his people that they have made a fatal mistake. These are people who go to church on Sunday. These are people, if you ask them, they would say, yes, I'm a believer. But these are people who have let go of God with one of their hands. And they're trying to grab on to some flashy neon sign of the world and say, yeah, I can have God and I can have this. I can have my cake and eat it too. I can live in both worlds. I can straddle the fence and that's going to be okay. And the God of the Bible never allows his people to hold on to him and to something else. We know from a couple of weeks ago, Jeremiah was called as a teenager. And so here is an 18-year-old young man, a 19-year-old. He's looking at the face of his friends and saying, if you continue to live double lives, you're going to be ripped apart. Now, I can imagine at a high school in Jerusalem, Jerusalem High School, JHS, handing out superlatives. And I just can't see Jeremiah winning most popular. That he has to go around and look at all of his 18-year-old friends and say, Hey, all of you all who are trying to live double lives, you're going to be ripped apart. Woohoo! All right, Jeremiah, go. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. And I'm not imagining Jeremiah making the headline list, the speaker list, for the latest church growth conference. Hey, here's what really grows your church. If you would just tell most of the people in the church that they have made a fatal mistake, and they are trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot on God, and if you would just tell them that they're going to be ripped apart, I'm sure your growth would just skyrocket. See, Jeremiah is not going to be a popular person. But he's going to be a rock. He's going to stand still for 40 years while the whole generation crumbles around him, reaching out for something else. People are going to be able to say, Jeremiah hasn't done that. And I want to move in his direction. You might ask the question that I ask when I look at Jeremiah. You might say, Paul, do you think there are parallels between what Jeremiah said to Jerusalem and what Jeremiah might say to America? And Do you think there are parallels here? And my answer to you would be, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. 
I'm a preacher. But I do want to point out one parallel that I'm sure we can apply from Jeremiah's day to our own, and that is a terrible judgment comes upon all those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. A terrible judgment comes upon all of those who try to live double lives. God's picture for Jeremiah, so he would not forget, is a boiling pot that has spilled over and now is scalding the earth before it. The Old Test, that's the Old Testament picture. The New Testament picture in Revelation is a lake of fire. This is not the most popular message to give. It's no more popular today than it was in Jeremiah's day. It doesn't sell books on church growth. But it is the truth, and I am the person appointed to tell you the truth today. If you try to live a double life, if you try to live a life apart from God, there will be a day of judgment. And you will have to stand before God Almighty, and you will have to give an account for your life. So I want to ask you this question. What are you holding on to? I mean, you're holding on to something. Even if you don't know what it is, you've got your hands firmly grasped around something. And you're hoping it's going to take you all the way home, wherever that is in your mind. And I'm wondering if you're holding on to some kind of windy philosophy or some kind of wind of the world that just really is... Vapor, it just never quite gives you anything, and so you have to keep reaching out. Today is the day to let go of that. Now, there might be a few of you like that in here, but my guess is there's a lot more of us that have done what the people in Jeremiah's day has done, and that is they've tried to retain their relationship with God while maintaining a relationship with the world. Yes, I do believe, I do go to church, I do understand, I can say these things, but I must have these things. And God is saying to you, through Jeremiah, people who live their lives like that are in danger of being ripped apart. So what are you holding on to? Do you have it with two hands? Today might be the day, today is the day, if that's you, to let go of that thing. To finally relinquish your grasp on that and to grab hold of God alone. The almond tree reminds Jeremiah that God is watching. The boiling pot reminds Jeremiah that God is going to come and he is going to judge. And finally, in verse 17 through 19... The iron pillar. By any measure, Jeremiah's call was difficult. Just if you look in these three verses, get yourself ready. Stand up. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. You will be like an iron pillar. They will all fight against you. 
I will rescue you. I don't know about you, but I don't typically volunteer for assignments that I know I'm going to eventually need rescue for. I mean, especially from the very beginning. Jeremiah knows from God, hey, you know what, Jeremiah, you're going to need rescue. Well, all my hand that was up in the air, now I'm starting to shrink back. Because I don't want something that I'm going to have to be rescued from in the beginning. But Jeremiah forges through. And one of the phrases that sort of caught my attention here is in verse 17. Do not be dismayed by them. You see that? Do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid by them. That actually in the Hebrew says this. Do not be afraid of their faces. Isn't that interesting? Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet. You're going to stand up before kings, priests, congregations, and I don't want you to be afraid of their faces. Keep your eyes on me, Jeremiah. Look at me. Don't be afraid. You remember in Numbers 13, and God has called his people out of Egypt into Canaan, and they send out 12 spies to spy out the land. So the 12 spies go out, and they all come back to give a report on the land, and here's what it says. Caleb silenced the people and said, we should go up and take, the, and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. All the people we saw there are of great size. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Ten of the twelve spies looked into the faces of the Canaanites, got afraid, and said, let's go back. And you know the end of the story. These ten men who were afraid cost a whole generation. You realize that? Thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of Israelites who had come out of Egypt their whole generation had to die off because of the fear of ten men. Edward Welch writes this, We become afraid when people are big and God is small. Jeremiah is going to face the same temptation these ten spies faced. You and I are going to face the same temptation these spies faced. And that is to be convinced that people are bigger than God. So God gives Jeremiah these pictures. You're a fortified city. You're an iron pillar. You're a bronze wall. He's trying to shore up Jeremiah not to be afraid. Jeremiah, no king, no congregation, no priest, no people, nobody's bigger than me, Jeremiah. You keep your eyes on me. You don't be afraid. You keep focused on me. I'm bigger than everything you're going to face. You can trust in me, and you can remain standing in the same spot with me. 
Are you a follower of Christ? Are you? Are you afraid? Is there some face, maybe nobody knows it but you, you're really afraid of? I I sometimes meet with people and we discuss the gospel and I recently ended a discussion with a young man who's a teenager, providentially enough, on this study. We'd worked our way through the book of John. And we got to the end of the study, and I said to the young man, I said, well, I mean, I know there are other questions that you might have. There are things that you might still be wrestling with. But, you know, I've basically given you the gospel here in this chapter or this book of the Bible. Is there anything that you're concerned by? Is anything you're, you're worried about? Any kind of question that maybe I could help you with? And, and when I ask that question, I'm sort of thinking this. They're going to say, yeah, but can you help me with the problem of evil? Or what about creation? Or, you know, all these sort of thorny questions that people legitimately have, and and maybe I just haven't quite covered it in a way that was satisfying. And he sat there and he looked at me and he gave me a very honest answer. He said, yeah, there's, there's one thing I'm concerned about. There's one thing I'm afraid of. And so I'm leaning forward and he says, my dad. My unbelieving dad. He didn't have to say it, but he did say it. I'm afraid of his faith. Because if I tell him what I'm considering, I don't know what I'm going to see back. Terrible disappointment, confusion, anger. I have no idea. And so I'm afraid of his face. And I looked at the young man and said, I I totally understand that fear. I'm not trying to take it away from you. But if you decide to not follow Christ based on his face, you have found your center of gravity. It's his face. And you will operate according to his face the rest of your life. And I'm showing you the face of your real father. And I'm encouraging you to get your life oriented around him and be afraid of his face and love his face before your father's face. And I wonder if you're a young person here. You're a teenager. I have a bunch of high school friends. One happens to be related to me and I get to discipline. The other I just get to love on. And they sit up front and I I know they're going to Hoggard. And there are other high school and college people out here. And I want to ask them and I want to ask you, are you afraid of someone's face? I mean, if you really go out to your high school, if you really go out to your college, and you really live for Christ, is there a face of a peer? Is there a face of a professor? Is there a face of somebody that you're saying, I just can't really live for Christ because of that face? 
I want you to hear Jeremiah say from the Lord, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of that face. That face is tiny. God's face is huge. Please look at that face. Fall in love with that face. Follow after that face. Do not let these other tiny faces. A whole generation is dying to hear the message of the gospel. And they need your face. They need you to stand firm when the whole culture is crumbling around them. Would you be, could you be the person who just stands in the same place every day? And not be captured by somebody else's face. Men, now is the time, if there was ever a time, that we need iron pillars in our families, in our communities. We do not need any more weak-spined men. We need rock-solid, stand-in-the-same-place men for the gospel. If we do not have that, this society will crumble. And it is your responsibility, men, it is your responsibility to be the iron pillar for your family. Do not be afraid of some face in your family. Do not be afraid of the face in your profession. Do not be afraid of the face at the gymnasium. Do not be afraid of the face of your old college buddy. Do not be afraid of the face of your father. Stand firm. Stand up. Look at Christ. Look at that face. Be captured by that face. You're called, you are called to stand in Wilmington. A whole generation is dying because men will not stand in the same place for 40 years. We are captured by the wind of our culture. Don't, don't be afraid, man. Do not be afraid. Seeker. My, my friends that are here who are thinking about Christ, are you afraid? I know I was when I was 24 years old. I was terrified. Because I had lived all of my 24 years with one hand on Christ and one hand on the world. And I was getting ripped apart. And it was terrifying for me to let go of what I thought I had control of, but I didn't. And really grab hold of Christ with two hands. I mean, what my, 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 what might my friends think? 
What if I don't have all the answers? You know, I still got questions. Maybe before I let go of the world, I need to get every question answered that I need. I've got some old friends who won't think I've really made a change. I've got parents who would be concerned about that. Are you afraid? Is is fear what's really holding you back from grabbing hold with two hands onto Christ? Don't be afraid. Please don't be afraid. He is the greatest face. He will be with you. He will answer you. He will rescue you. He will be all that you need. Just look at His face. Do not look at your face. Do not look at the face of your spouse. Do not look at the face of your of anybody else. Look at His face and do not be afraid. Do you hear me? Men, women, singles, retirees, young people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God Almighty, He is watching. He sees you. He loves you. He will hold on to you. He will answer you. And even if you go down, He will rescue you. That's the face. Do you see what Jeremiah sees? Do you see the almond tree that God is watching? Do you see the boiling pot that God will judge? Do you see the iron pillar that says, don't be afraid? Let's pray together. Lord, this is a word for the people who lived in 590 B.C. This is a word for the people who live in 2008 A.D. And I pray for your work, your hands, your Holy Spirit to be at work in the lives of these people, that they would see themselves, that they would see you, that they would see their world all in the right perspective and they would fall in love and follow after your face and not be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen.